0: Head on back there. And while they are doing that, I just want to let the rest of you know that the plan is for me to start teaching on Sunday morning for a stretch uh, starting next week. Uh, My brother Marty is here, Marty Schmidt, who's pastor at the Bridge Church. um, And he's going to be teaching this morning. The Bridge Church is in Ottumwa, Iowa, is its main campus and location where, where it was started. They planted a church in Washington, Iowa, They have campuses in Centerville, Iowa, and in Fairfield, Iowa, and now more recently, Oskaloosa, Iowa, so there's a lot going on there. And one of the things that I really appreciate about um, my time away, maybe one of the things I appreciate most, is just how much I knew people were praying for me. I've heard that a lot as I've, uh, I've talked to some of you, that you've mentioned how you're praying for me but also that you're praying for the church that we had people who committed to do that the whole time I was gone come here to pray for the church some people who are committed to making sure somebody's praying at the church every day of the week there's 30 people who are committed to that I just I'm grateful that we're praying a praying a praying church and so Marty you can come up what I'd like to do for just a couple minutes before turning things over to Marty is I want to pray for the Bridge Church There are so many people who have come to faith in Jesus through the ministries of the Bridge Church. And these aren't happening in like the growing suburb kind of easy places to go. I mean, no place is easy to do ministry, but these are some hard places. And communities are being changed and lives are being changed. And so, can you imagine the pressure and the spiritual warfare around leading that? And so I just want us to pray for Marty and his family and the staff team there and that God's kingdom would keep coming through these ministries and especially reach the people who, who are hopeless now. They don't have true hope if they don't have Jesus. So I'm gonna pray a bit and I'm gonna leave space for you guys to kind of pray on your own and then I'll pray to transition us back into us receiving from Marty. Let's pray. God, thank you for this man. Thank you for the people who have joined him in your call to reach people, to rebuild, repair, and restore communities, to prioritize people who aren't going to church and who don't know you and who may be in deep brokenness. I thank you for that. And we pray that you would keep filling him, filling his team, filling the congregations themselves with your Holy Spirit with power from on high, with your greatest gift of love, love for you and love for people. And and God, I break curses, hexes, and spells over Marty, over his family, over leadership team, over any campus, over the Bridge Church in the name of Jesus. I declare it null and void. I decommission evil spirits, I break your assignments in the name of Jesus. We say, the Lord rebuke you. And we say, come, Lord Jesus. Reign in your church. Reign in these communities. And now, just you may want to pray for a particular community. Right now, I'm going to leave a little time, but Atumwa or Fairfield, or Centerville, or Oskaloosa, where their newest campus has started, they've got a figure out a new building. They just bought a building and figure out a project in a tumwa. Would you pray for whatever God puts on your heart? I'm just going to leave about 30 seconds or so. Thank you, God. Thank you for the Bridge Church and your purposes for it. And we pray now, we thank you that you have planted your word deeply in Marty, particularly around uh, this character in the Bible and, and Jesus. And we, we pray that what you've planted in him, your spirit would release to us, that, to us, that we would hear uh, what it is you're saying to each one of us this morning through him. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Man, there's, there's, there's no place like celebrate. I tell you what, the richness, the depth, the prayer that you guys bring over and over again. And um, uh, several uh, years ago, I was meeting with someone who was a pastor, and he said, you know, as pastors, we end up at a lot of funerals. So have you noticed there's the same kind of pattern that happens at funerals, that, that you, you have the... The the time, the gathering, and all of what the service is. And at the end, there's a few people left crying uh, near the casket, even though hundreds of people have come. And you go outside, and people are laughing and planning where they're going to eat and things like that outside. And I'm I'm not speaking poorly. That's just the repetition of how things often end up. And the pastor said, have you ever told the people who you think will be by your casket that you think they'll be there? Said another way, the people who you assume are closest to you, have you ever told them they're closest to you? Something powerful can happen when you tell the people you love the most that you see them as the person who would be there. And you get access and shepherding and pastoring by my brother, his wife, yes, the staff, but I've had a front row seat my whole life, and um, I will get to Jonah eventually. It's really a story about a guy who went to a place he didn't want to go, which is me. I never wanted to go to Iowa, so, I mean, we'll get there. But one of the things that's happened in my, my life, I have a daughter who has been extremely unwell for over three years. And last year, we ended up leaving in Ottumwa, we ended up having to make over 100 trips to Des Moines last year. My wife and I, we would drive and we would cry and we would hope and we would wait and we would get tired. And uh, I'll never forget just being at the low of low fighting for my daughter. And Jenny and I sat with you and Camille and you prayed for us and it was exactly what I needed. You are in good hands. And I thank you for giving him a little bit of a chance to rest and recharge a little bit. I know um, I look to him to pastor me. I feel like I'm under his arm. It's a great place to be. There's a covering that I get from you and from your prayers and from your meals. Because you, you cook really good food. <laughs> that would be Camille. Let's be clear. Um, so this is a, an opportunity I get. I, I love the minor prophets. That's my wheelhouse. Of all the things in the Bible to get really excited about, the minor prophets. This guy. Love it. And you've got today the story of Jonah, who's one of twelve minor prophets, and it's a fish story. I mean, you know what fish stories are. Any any people who fish, how, how big's the fish you caught? You're like, it was like this, this big. I actually went fishing not too long ago in Idaho, and I'm I'm telling you, I caught I caught this fish. Check it out. It was that big. The truth is, though, like, I'd done this fishing trip with some pastors three years in a row, and these guys are wheeling in, like, these massive fish, and I never, I mean, like, that's the fish I caught, and I was, that was it, the one year, that was it, but this year, I had this moment where I'm like, God, I'm doing everything, I, I'm like, I literally was like, this is dumb, I'm never fishing again, and wham, it was like, geez, whoa. And now, that's happened several times for me with weeds. Um, (laughs) So I didn't want to get overly confident, you know, but like, and... Luke, my guy in the boat, he's like, whoa, and I'm like, I know. And he's like, don't lose it. I'm like, I don't. He's like, and so he comes over, he starts like letting line out, and I'm like, I thought we were supposed to bring this thing in. He's like, oh no. And and then he's like, Reel in, I'm reeling, unreal. And he's like, let it out, let it out. You know what I mean? It's this, it's like five-minute journey. And I gotta tell you, I caught a fish. Let, this fish that I I'm like, it was just so fun. It's So fun. And then I read this story about Jonah, and I'm like, how do you get in a fish? How does this work? Jonah, he's mentioned by name about 30 times in Scripture, give or take whatever translation you're going to use. One of the times is in 2 Kings. There's this little passage about a king who expanded the borders, re-raised, like, I mean, it was like a revival of its time, set up securing the borders, and they expanded. And the reference then is just as Jonah, the Jonah in this passage book of the Bible that we are looking at today, had prophesied. So Jonah is a prophet who has spoken things that have actually happened. He said, this is gonna happen, and it happened. Now, 20 years pass by, maybe 30, but time goes on and Jonah, who has said, Israel, your boundaries will expand. Israel, the fortresses will be built. And it happened years pass, and a new guy pops up on the scene, Hosea, another guy named Amos. And they're both like, Israel, God's going to abandon you. So simultaneously, you've got a guy who is like on the, on the out of his career, hearing these other guys prophesying, the thing that you like—they're counter. You got to be wondering, like, what's going on? Are they a false prophet? Are they not? And so, so then you've got the Book of Jonah, and his name is mentioned, you know, twenty sometimes there. The other seven, almost like one third of the mentions of Jonah in the Bible, are said seven hundred years later by Jesus. That's it. Once in Second Kings, in the Book of Jonah, which. Paints Jonah actually as someone who did a really bad job honoring God. And then Jesus, he's like, oh, you remember that? So I want to look at this for a second. I don't know if we've got this um, passage, Matthew chapter 12. If we're going to be in the book of Jonah, let's talk about Jesus. All right. So Matthew chapter 12, verse 38, is that up there? Oh, it is. All right. So then some of the scribes and Pharisees. Now, you're, you're, you're somewhat familiar with Scripture, The scribes and Pharisees, do they like Jesus or are they kind of like mm, miffed? They're miffed. They're not big fans of him. They see him as the counter of what it looks like to actually honor God. And they're in this spot where Jesus is on the scene, rising up, moving in places where he's helping the least, the the hurting, the broken, the people who aren't allowed in temple. Jesus is hanging out with them. He's at parties. This is crazy. And the Pharisees and the scribes hear everybody going like, this is the one. And they're like, what? And so they say, you know what, Teacher? We wish to see a sign from you. We want proof. Here's my first thought. Have you ever needed a sign from God? Has there ever been a time where you're like, I need proof? Have you ever approached God with like, if you do this, then I'll do that? Anyone? Just me? Just me? I'm the guy who's like, God, if it's heads, I'll do this. If it's tails, I'll do that. Flip. That was how I learned how to hear God's voice. It was also in eighth grade. I don't recommend. And... Do I call her, God? Will she say yes? No? Oh, two out of three. Um, these are these moments where, where isn't it interesting that, that we've all had this point where are like, God, would you just prove it? Would you just make it clear? And I find it interesting when Jesus is confronted, could you prove it? Granted, he has walked on water, fed a lot of people, and healed them. And they're like, we need a sign. And Jesus answers, but it's not the sign they want. I'm wondering how many of us we are looking for God to prove himself and I just need you to hear that's not how he works. He does not work for you. But Jesus is kind. He says, but he answered them an evil and adulterous generation seeks a sign. Wow. Talk about a, a, a pushback on the people who feel like they have the most authority in the room. We need a sign from you. He's like, only evil, wicked, horrible losers. I mean like, I mean, like, he's just like adulterous. Like, he's not holding back people. Jesus, the, the kind guy who walks, like, just slams the people and says, only they see, but no sign will be given to you except the sign of the prophet Jonah. The only sign I'm going to give you is Jonah. If I'm Jesus and I'm going to give a sign, I mean, I would pick like Abraham and Isaac. You need a sign? I'm like the real Isaac. Abraham went up a mountain. He was going to kill his son. I am the real son. I would use the Passover lamb. Exodus. We're going to take you out. I'm the true Passover lamb. I would use I'm the true David. Sin is Goliath and I'm going to take him down. No, no, no. He goes, you know the story about the big fish that ate the person? This guy. What? It's ludicrous. It's crazy. This is his so it goes on. What's it say next? For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the son of man, this guy, be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Whoa. Goes on. Next. He adds, the men of Nineveh will rise up at judgment with this generation and condemn it For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, not someone, something. I tried really hard to find the translation that says someone. They all say something. Something greater than Jonah is here. Whoo! This is interesting. So, if you don't know much about Jonah, you you saw the illustration version, but there's so much more. So just for a few moments, I want to just kind of unpack for you all the little weird things I've noticed about Jonah. Now, Jonah was sent to Nineveh. Nineveh is the capital of Assyria. Assyria is the big power at the time. And I need you to understand, over and over again, Assyria, Nineveh, synonymous in their language and understanding, okay, and Babylon are brought up in the Old Testament. You've got Nineveh or Assyria, and you've got Babylon, all right? I need you to have this bucket, and let me help you by giving you the answer before the question. The great commandment, love God and also love people. Let's let's say it together. Love and love. Okay, here's the thing. Nineveh, Assyria, is known at being cruel to people. Babylon is known as rejecting God. Over and over again in the Bible when they bring up Babylon and Assyria, Babylon and Nineveh, they're talking about people who have rejected God or have been mean to their neighbor. And no one is meaner than the Ninevites. The Ninevites had such unique strategies of torturing people it's not even worth because you want to go eat lunch afterwards and we can't talk about it. It is horrible. And Jonah is told to go to the people who are brutal and horrible, okay? Now, this is, this is wild. Nineveh is, is a long distance away. And so Jonah, near the end of his prophetic time, he gets this word, go to Nineveh. And he says no, and he ends up going to a place that's the opposite direction. But if you get into the details of what he did, he did not buy a boat passage. He bought the boat He spent his money buying the boat. I have no resources to go to Nineveh. There's no way I, like, he exhausted. I just find that wild. Like, have you ever put yourself in a position where, like, now you can't do what maybe God would want you to do? Too close to home? Sorry. All right, let's move on. Other things that I find fascinating about Jonah. Um, Chapter one and chapter three are the same. Chapter two and chapter 4 are the same. Now, I didn't put any of these up here, and I apologize. When I was asked by the wonderful Matt Van Zandt, he said, do you have any slides? I said, yes, but however, none of them are in the book of Jonah. Um, but I will read some of them to you, because I brought my notes. And I, 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 just, I just want you to see how amazing Scripture is, how it just comes alive. So here's the first verse of the book of Jonah. And if you're an audio person, you can listen. You, like, this will be easy. If you need to, like, see it, I apologize. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, okay, that was verse one of one, chapter three. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. Sounds like the same verse, doesn't it? Okay, let's go on. Verse two of chapter one. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it for its evil. Second verse, chapter three. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it in this message I tell you. Okay, well, it's got to change eventually, right? Verse 3, but Jonah rose and went to Tarshish. Verse 3 of chapter 3. So Jonah rose and went to Nineveh. I mean, it's different, but it's the same. Could we agree? Then, then verse 4 of chapter 1, basically, God sends a warning. It's a big storm. And in verse 4 of chapter 3, and Jonah cries out a warning. For 40 days, he yelled. So, okay, so, just in case you, you've lost me. Chapter 1 and chapter 3. Go, go, all right? Oh, wait, sorry. Word, word, go, go. And then he doesn't and he does. Warning, warning. But then it even goes into verse four of chapter one. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea and there was a mighty tempest. And here you get verse five. The mariners, not the baseball team. (laughs) These would be the people on the sea, okay? Were afraid. And they cried out to their God not the God, their God. And they hurled the cargo over and they lightened the load. You saw it. They like threw stuff overboard. And Jonah was asleep. Verse five on the other side, again, because they parallel. And the people of Nineveh believed God and they called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest. So it's interesting in verse one, you have these pagans who don't believe in God, but they start to respond and they actually quit eating. And in Chapter three, you have these pagans who don't believe in God and they start responding and they don't eat. Then you get to verse six of chapter one and who should show up? Verse six is the captain. Now, who's the captain? He's in charge of the mariners, the baseball team. He's the manager. And he is in charge of the boat, okay? And then he has a conversation with Jonah. Verse six of chapter three, the head of Nineveh, the king of Nineveh, the leader of the pagans comes and has a, a, a conversation with the people. We should pay attention. The rest of chapter 1, 7 to the end, is the pagans responding better than Jonah. Verse 7 of chapter 3 to the end of, of chapter 3, the pagans responding better than Jonah. None of that will help you. I just find it amazing. It's just... It's, so then with chapter 2, chapter 2 is a song. It's actually a repeat of a, a combination of psalms. And the idea is this. He's overboard, okay? He gets thrown into the water, and he's like going down, down, down. And he starts talking about the seaweed starts getting wrapped around his legs. Now, I, I cannot swim. I am a no Ezra Schmidt. We actually had a swimming competition. I would say it was the span of this building maybe three times. And I said, I can swim that far. About halfway, I said, please throw me a life jacket. So Ezra swam, got a life jacket, and brought it back to me. I mean, it's just like, you know, thank you. Um, but, but there's this idea of like seaweed and trap. And in it, Jonah is done, and he, he gets honest with God He confesses what he did. He thanks God for being God. And then he makes a sacrifice, like a vow. This is gripping to me. Have you ever walked away from God to such a level where you're like, I need to own this. I need to get honest with you, God. I wasn't true. This isn't... In, in, In the process of getting honest... You confess, God, I need you. I trusted myself. And you start to thank God because you know God does amazing things. And you say, and if you help me out of this, I will. And Jonah did the same thing. Some of you, you've been in a spot where I think you've been challenging, pushing, rubbing against God. Maybe it's time to get honest with God and to say, you know what? I've been trying to do it on my own. I confess that I've been pretending I'm in charge of my own kingdom and I think better than you. And that is wrong. It's wrong. And I thank you that you are bigger than my little understanding. And so I vow to choose you and to keep following after you. That would be chapter 2. It parallels chapter 4 in this way. In chapter 2, what does Jonah need? Grace. Chapter 4, this is weird. Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh because he knew God would save Nineveh. Question. Is there anyone, you don't have to say their name out loud, but if it went well for them, it makes you mad? Is there anyone who, like, do you think they might not deserve what they're getting? Is there anyone who, like, in light of what you do and how you love God and how you live life and it doesn't seem to be going and then that person, that person, that person is somehow getting elevated at, and, and you're not and, and it kind of makes you frustrated. It's a small glimpse into chapter four. And you get this story of like this vine that grows, provides shade and Jonah's like, thank you and then God has the plant die the next day and he's like, God. And it ends. This is how it ends. This, is, this will all make sense in a second. It ends with Jonah and God in a conversation, and we don't know how Jonah responds. God's like, can't I have grace on whoever I want to have grace on? Can't I do what I want to do? Said another way, if you have your kingdom, do whatever you want, but this one's mine, and I'm going to do what I want. And we don't know how Jonah, Jonah responds. Okay, so I tell you all of that only to get you to this. The thing that strikes me about the book of Jonah is it's told like Jonah's this prophet who goes and saves a city, when really it's a mirror for me, and I hope for some of you, I need grace. The story is about Jonah needing grace. Grace. And when you just assume God will forgive your sins because that's what the God does, and it's just not, and you make light of what it cost him, grace won't change your life. But when you are gripped by the power of what God has done, when you move to the place of how much it cost him, and he didn't have to, but he chose to, and he gets elevated to higher places, then you begin to understand grace. This is what we have to grasp today. I, 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 in the book of Jonah, um, I throw up. I think Colossians. Oh no, I have a quote. Go back one. Thank you. There's a quote. Yeah. Nope. That's cool. Hmm. Nope. I wrote it down, but I didn't bring my notes, so I'll bring it up here. You might have it. I don't know. I apologize. middle-aged man God's grace not being understood is the source of our most severe problems I will say that again No I won't All right God's grace not being understood is the source of our most severe problems I'm recognizing over and over again I don't understand grace and it's why I'm not great with people The Pharisees approached Jesus Jesus is extending grace. They don't understand it. They're not great at loving people. Jonah is invited to go extend grace. It frustrates him. And so he misses out on it. And so there's this this passage in Colossians chapter 1, verse 6. Which has come to you as indeed the whole world it is bearing fruit. Uh, The gospel. Gospel has come to you. The good news of Jesus has come to you. Indeed, in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. I'm wondering how many of us were missing the understanding of the grace of God, and so I want to summarize it by telling you a story you already know and connecting it to the book of Jonah, and then we will sing, and it will be, I hope, I hope an encouragement to you. But Jesus... He told the story of Jonah. He just never used the name Jonah. He said, there was once a man who had two sons. And one of the sons, the younger, was fed up with the way things were operating and wanted to choose a life and adventure on his own. And so he told his dad, I wish you were dead. Because if you were dead, I could get my inheritance. In fact, that's what I want right now. And so the father sold part of the farm and gave away his inheritance and the younger son ran away. Jesus says he squandered it on wild living and it moved him to places of great depravity. He became poor and he actually hired himself into a place where it was absolutely against everything they believed. He was working with pigs and in his upbringing, this was, this was the worst of the worst. And in his mind, he was, he was wondering if my place of great hunger, wouldn't it just I should just eat what the pigs are eating. And the Bible says, and then he came to his senses. And I believe all of us, we need to come to our senses moment. He's like, don't the servants of my father eat better than this? Here's what I'll do. I will go home and I will plead my case to be a servant. Surely, surely my father will hire me on. And while he was a long ways off, the father sees him and comes running towards him. This is his son. And he wraps in mid-speech, the younger son who's saying, I'm sorry, he's shh, no time for that. Quick, quick, let's have a feast. Strike up the band, throws a coat around him, puts a ring on him, like hugs him, kisses him, gets dirty with him, and ushers them in, and the band is playing and the Food is roasting and it's great. I don't know what they're eating, hummus and stuff. And I, it's good. It's so good. And, and then the older son, he catches wind. He's like, What is the, what, what, what's going on? And they're like, Did you not hear? He's like, you yeah, what? Your son came, your, your dad's son came back. Your brother, he's home. He's home? Yeah. And your dad's brought him back into the family. Now, in order to bring him back into the family, the older son would lose more inheritance. So the older son kind of comes and he's just bewildered by all of this because his father has made all of these arrangements and and here he has, he's never left, he's worked hard and he's frustrated by what this is and he's standing outside and the father finds out that the older brother isn't in the room and he comes out and he's like, what, you ready? And he's like, what is this? What do you mean? Your brother who was lost and found because all these years I served you I worked I didn't do anything wrong I didn't get half of what you're doing today and the father's like didn't you know like he was in a bad spot and you're welcome in too end of story the audience of that story is the same audience that Jesus says you need a sign Jonah. Jonah in the first two chapters is the younger son. He says, God says, let's go. Let's go. And he says, no. And he runs away. I'm doing my own thing. One of the questions I have today is have any of you ever run away? Have any of you ever said, I don't want to go the way I'm supposed to go? And so he runs. Chapters three and four of Jonah, though, is the older brother. Oh, I'll go. I'll do what I'm supposed to do. I'll say the words. Jonah's a prophet who could probably work the room. But my guess is he went in there and he said, judgment's coming, unless you repent. He did what he was supposed to do, but his heart was far from it. And the story ends with God saying, Jonah, but don't you think people far from me matter? Look, a whole city looking to come home and you're sitting outside. I know for me, there's been times in my life where I have run away. But as I have gotten more acclimated into the things of God and I have operated more in the work of church, my heart can get hard. My heart can get cold. And I can be offended when grace gets extended to other people that I don't think deserve it. So what do we do? I don't know if you're, you're like the Jonah who runs away or the Jonah who's offended by grace, but grace is to be understood that I want more people to get it. I want more people to know it. And in order to extend grace, there needs to be a sacrifice. Now, please hear me. You are not—you are not one to be. Uh, all your sins are covered by the sacrifice of Jesus. But Jesus invited you in. He says, "Now go and do likewise." And so this is—this has been the journey my family has been on. It's led us into some crazy places. My wife was pregnant with our fourth child, we, so we had three at home, and we were running a homeless shelter at the time, and I get a phone call from my friend who's working the home, men's homeless shelter, men's, men's homeless shelter, and he says, hey, a guy just showed up with his daughter. I was like, well, that's not going to work. So I go over there, and I'm, I meet them. She's 11 years old, and I, I'm like, well, we'll put you up in a hotel for the night. And so we, we put them up, and the next day I go and I have a meeting with him and, and I'll never forget, I'm just, I'm just stuck. I don't know what to do in this situation. They've exhausted all of their friendships. The mom has never been in the picture after birth. She left. So this guy has done the best he can. He's been bouncing around but he can't hold down a job. My wife's two months pregnant so this is, and I, I call her up and I was like, hey! And she goes, you want her to come live with us? I was like, you know, she's like, well, "I know you." And I'm like, "She's like, okay, for how long?" I'm like, "I don't know." And so I told the guy, "I said, hey, we will find the funds to put you up in an apartment. I just need you, at McDonald's. At the time, there was these things called newspapers. I'm like, get a paper out, like, in, like anything, just to kind of take a step in the right direction. I could tell there's some, some, some." some dependency issues that we need to figure out. And so, um, and then we just, we just bring this girl into our house. And um, for the next six months, she lives with us. We threw her her first birthday party. She picked a theme. My daughter, uh, Lydia, had picked an underwater theme. And so we put a blue uh, tablecloth on a table and let it hang. And then we ate underneath. So we were underwater that was for my uh, three-year-old, and she's like, I want that, and so we did that, and the youth group, they bought her gifts and things, and at one point, uh, you know, the police call and the DHS, they're like, hey, we heard this, and I'm like, yeah, she's safer here than anywhere else, and they're like, we agree, and they hang up, and I had to make a decision, like, you know, baby's coming, and things like that, and Um, found a distant aunt in Georgia. And so we bought our plane ticket and we flew her down there. And um, for the last 13 years, I've wondered if I made the right choice. Like, oh, should we have... The data's since passed. There's all kinds of more story, but I couldn't find her. I couldn't find her until two months ago on Facebook. I I'm like, hey, are you do you remember us? She's like, oh my goodness. I think about you guys all the time. I'm a manager at Chick-fil-A. Oh so you're a Christian. This is amazing. <laughs> and so we're we're exchanging and uh, we're working on 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 reconnecting. When I uh, when I did that, I had no idea what it would do to our family. There's another guy named Doug. I could go on. Um, at eleven, you're, I don't know. Like they didn't plug you in, you know, because I told you start making noise at eleven. You're you're doing good. So, because <laughs> they, they, someone said you need to end on time, so we're gonna end on time. So the worship team, you start working your way up. Um, can I share another story? This is this is, and I hope it, I hope it brings home. Um, so for. Uh, 13 years my wife and I we lived next door to Jerry and Dorothy Jerry and Dorothy have the same anniversary as my wife and I and Dorothy passed away about 9 months ago and Jerry he's 90 years old and uh, we sold our house when we moved uh, 4 years ago to my best friend So, my, like, that was the hardest thing for me was moving away from my neighbors Jerry and Dorothy who um, are getting along in age and uh, so my best friends check on them often and two weeks ago, I get a phone call from Kelsey. She's one of my best friends, and she says, "Jerry fell, and we're out of town." And Jerry and Jerry, his kids don't live in Atumwa. So I mean, I drive I mean, break every speeding law, but it doesn't matter because the cops are too busy doing other things. You can do whatever you want on the roads in Atumwa. It's amazing. But you need to be careful because the potholes will send you upwards and now you have car payment because like, there went your wheel. True story. Uh, lost a wheel a couple months ago. There it went. Um, and, and I get there and Jerry, Jerry's down uh, on the ground out, outside. I'm like, Jerry, Jerry. And, and then so he's like, Marty, I was fishing something out of my trash can and the wheel slipped and I can't get up. I'm like, well, how'd you make a phone call? He goes, I got an Apple Watch. I was like... Good job. He's like, I tapped it. The third tap goes to Kelsey. I was like, that's brilliant. He only has three taps, his son, his daughter, and Kelsey. And, uh, and so, so uh, I, I help him up. And I got to tell you, I'd had a horrible season. Just very sad, very just not present. But like when I got the opportunity, like I picked Jerry up and I'm like, how are you feeling? He's like, I don't, my arm is bad. And so I'm like, okay. So we go to the Atumwa ER and we go into the ER and um, they, he can't he can't write because it's his right shoulder and so like they're like you need to write you and and what's your relationship and I'm like best friend you know like I'm just like you know whatever and and so then uh, I was like Jerry I'm gonna stay with you the whole time and they're like okay we're gonna check his vitals so they're checking his vitals and then this other woman from her church comes in and her kid's not breathing she's like Pastor Marty she like hands me her child so I'm praying for her child I'm like Jerry we're good we're good right you know and so give the child back because you need oxygen not me and 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 bless you all right all right so then Jerry and I we go back and and they they need to like check and so they can't get his they can't get his shirt on and so then you know like his pants drop and he's embarrassed and so I'm like I'm holding up his pants and helping him get his shirt off and then they gotta take x-rays and he can't walk that far so I, I push him in the wheelchair and then I'm he's he's a little bit unstable so I'm holding up while they're taking the x-rays they're like you can't be in the room I'm like well he can't like you know, what? And so like, zip, zip, you know, you know, you're fine. You'll survive. I've had x-rays before. And, and, and so then we get, we get him back and, into the room and I'm like, Jerry, you know, tell me about, you know, because he, he, he's trembling. He's not sure what's going on. And, and, and we just keep talking and we just keep talking. I hear about how, you know, in the Korean War and when he went down to Arizona and how he took a train back and we're talking and talking. And I stayed with him and his arm is broken and bring him home and I make him some food and I sit there and about two more hours pass and his son pulls up in the driveway and I changed. It just changed me. I'm telling you some of us like when when you have received grace you're like that's so great but then life starts to stack up and it pushes the grace to be your primary way of seeing life. And I don't know, but today I think I'm just here to remind you like, oh God, it's been so good to you. So good. And I know it might be hard, but like, oh, what if you could accept? The thing that has gotten me out of my funk has been loving people all over again with fresh eyes. Remembering Taylor, visiting my neighbor. So here's the application. If you've run from God, Come on home. And if your heart is just frustrated by the way things are going right now, you're literally at a door of decision, like an older brother standing at the door. I know it hasn't turned out the way you want, but there's still a party that you could be a part of. And part of being a part of the party is going and loving people. So if you've been offended by grace, How do you remedy it? Go extend it. Just go extend it. No strings attached. Just say, I want it to be better. Father God, we pray right now for your grace to desaturate us in this room. What Jesus has done, what Jesus has accomplished, a greater than Jonah. He is. Died on the cross, buried in the tomb, but rose victorious. And since that day, life has been extended. Wherever his name is uttered, hope is found. So in this room, even as we close, I pray Jesus would be enough. Jesus' grace would show up. It would unlock more of your kingdom in our life, and you would be able to just help us to see opportunities to love others. We give you praise. Amen. Would you stand? So we close.